Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hello and welcome to another Arsecast Extra, normally with James from Gunnerblog, but he is away on his holidays. So filling the gap this morning, so to speak, is Tim Stillman. Hello, Tim. Hello there. This is a bit like being on Match of the Day or something. I feel like, I feel like I've been doing a bit of punditry around the BBC, maybe a bit of final score, and now I've finally got the call up for Match of the Day. Will you be Ian Wright or will you be Jermaine Genus? This is the question that we have today. I, I, I know which one I would much, much rather be of those two, put it that way. Uh, I, and I think uh, everybody listening would uh, know exactly what you're talking about there. Anyway. Indeed. Yeah. And, and actually, if I had Jermaine Genus's agent, I probably would have been on Match of the Day by now. Probably the <laughs> hardest working person in football. Well, there, that is a discussion for another day. We might keep that for a top secret Patreon pod or whatever. Anyway, look, we're recording Monday morning and wow, out of the blue, a signing, who knew, etc., etc., etc. Gabriel Jesus is officially an Arsenal player and, you know... I get it. People are anxious for these things to happen. They want the signing. They want the video. They want the behind the scenes thing. They want it all now because we all know it's going to happen, but it hasn't happened. Nevertheless, I have to say that uh, now that it is official, I'm, I'm excited by this. The delay in the signing happening has not dampened my enthusiasm for the player for games of football, which haven't even happened yet. Yeah, and people are probably curious about why that announcement's been delayed. And I can reveal that Arsenal knew that I was going to be on the Arsecast Extra <laughs> on Monday morning. And they knew that we were recording at about half past 10 in the morning. So they thought, why don't we do a nice morning announcement um, for Tim? So thanks to the guys at Arsenal for doing that. And that is the exact <laughs> reason that the announcement has been delayed. But I, I completely I completely agree with you and obviously share your excitement for uh, and probably exceed most people's level of excitement for this mm. move for reasons I probably don't need to explain just just a, for me personally um, just a very one of those very very rare signings I don't think it's ever happened before and I don't anticipate it will ever happen again you know where you've watched a player from the moment they made their debut and mm. not in the Premier League and not <clears throat> not in your continent, as it were. It just so happens that I was in on the ground floor on this guy and it just so happens that I've liked him ever since and it just so happens that I've really, really wanted him to come to Arsenal <laughs> for some years. Um, when he was a teenager, he was definitely out of our reach when City signed him. Uh, the bun fight over him was significant when he was 19 years old. All of the big clubs in Europe wanted him. Mm. Uh, City got him because of Pep Guardiola. That was the re that was the menu of options available to him were numerous. So we were never in that fight. But I always thought, hmm, with Aguero there, it might not 
you know, it might not go right for him there. And mm. I always held a bit of a candle that maybe he'd come to Arsenal one day. So I'm absolutely delighted he has. And not least because it's the biggest position of need for Arsenal and has been, in, in my view, for at least three years. Yeah, well, there you go. I mean, that's, that is the main thing, isn't it? We've added to our collection of Brazilian Gabriels. Um, maybe there's more to come. Who knows? But a, a hat trick of those, three of the best, if you like, is, is very good. And look, we'll talk a little bit about him as a player and maybe him as a Brazilian player as well. But I think the key thing is that we wanted to sign a forward, a centre forward this summer. He is the centre forward. He's come in. He's been signed. We uh, we wondered a little bit maybe about where exactly he was going to play, right? And he mm. was asked in his um, interview um, by Arsenal.com, where, you know, has Mikel Arteta talked to you about where you're going to play? And he basically said, uh, I'm the number nine. I'm the number nine. I'm here to score goals. And he talked about, you know, being able to play in two or three different positions, about how he likes to help people, how he likes to make assists and everything else. But but Arsenal need a centre-forward. Arsenal need a striker. He is that striker. This is going to be his job in this team. And sort of based on where he started, how he broke through, what's happened to him at the last, or at Man City over the last couple of years, because they have had other centre-forward options, you know, this is not quite a return to his roots in a way, but this is maybe the right time, the right club, the right project, you know, in inverted commas. I know people hate the use of that word at times, <clears throat> but, you know, this is, we've got a position of need. He fills that position and it, it puts on him a, a measure of responsibility also, which I think is one of the really interesting aspects about this transfer is that like, there's a lot of expectation around it. Yeah, 100%. One of the things I do whenever Arsenal sign a player who I've heard of in any respect, I go back and I search my Twitter handle with his name mm. and think to my... Because generally speaking, on a new signing, you will start... Unless you sign like a player you're really familiar with from a rival, so Willian, Petacek, Silvestre, David Luiz, yeah. generally <laughs> you start in a relatively positive frame of mind because you want... You want to, that, that's like one of the reasons that transfers are so addictive for supporters is because mm. it's that hope. Here's how we get better. And generally, that is your starting point with any transfer. Look at the player of month for August for every fucking year. Nearly always a new signing. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so it, it's, it's really interesting in this respect because he, he's, for me, I, I looked back, sorry, at, at my tweets about Gabriel Jesus, and there's a lot of them, but like some of them in my capacity as an Arsenal fan, but some just when I was covering Brazilian football, which I don't really do anymore. Um, but, you know, tweets from a couple of years ago where I kind of said, not even talking about Arsenal, I'd said someone should pick this guy up and mm. put him back at centre forward. And actually I was advocating for Barcelona and Real Madrid to do it. I was kind of saying, if Madrid want the long-term Benzema replacement if you know Barcelona want that centre forward now they haven't got Messi I really thought one of those clubs should have done it mm. because I've seen this guy play centre forward and I promise you it's in him he is a killer or he can be a killer now he has lost that a little bit over the last couple of years and there's no guarantee that he'll get it back I think the worst thing we've done is sign a good forward who can score goals, who can certainly score more goals than Alex Lacazette can. Mm -hmm. um, so we're already, <clears throat> excuse me, one up on that. But there, there is, 
it does remind me a little bit of the, and I'm not saying it's going to make this kind of impact, but the Henri signing, you know, when you pick someone up, mm. who's perhaps just lost it a little bit. And let's face it, Gabriel Jesus would not be coming to Arsenal if that was not the case. If he was fully at the kind of trajectory he was on from the age of 19, he wouldn't be coming to Arsenal. He'd be out of our reach. And, and so, but the thing is, Arsenal can't sign the sure thing. Manchester City have already done that. Mm. They bought Erling Haaland. That's the sure thing right there. Arsenal can't do that. So they have to look either for potential or they have to look for that post-hype, perhaps untapped potential. And, you know, for me, because he's a player I know very well, I just think that's in there with Gabriel Jesus. And I've been saying for ages, this guy needs to go get his mind back into mm. being a striker. Go and be a number nine. Go and score the goal somewhere. Yeah. Now, I don't think that's all he's going to do, and I'm sure we can go into this later because there'll be questions about it, but he can facilitate as well. He can do that role. He's done that role to a very high level. Yeah. So he's not just going to... like It's not a Bamiyang. He's not going to sit in the six-yard box waiting for the ball to come to him. He will help others to score goals as well, I think. So even over and above the goals he will score, mm. which I would you know anticipate being 15 to 20, maybe, if he stays fit in the Premier League, I think he'll help the other guys to score goals um, as well. And that, that's why I think it's such, it's such a good signing. And look, he's 25, he's still young, and he's won the Premier League four times. Like, <laughs> ha, what? Someone tell me another striker on the market that's available with those kind of credentials. Well, for, for, for the kind of money that we paid for him, even if he only has a year left on his contract, £45 million, pounds, um, seems like a lot in that context, but when you look at what you're getting, the age of the player, and I, I think there's a couple of very interesting points there. One is the the need for a centre-forward to score goals, because we all know that's obvious. But we also have some very good attacking players at the club already who can develop and who can do more. Bakayo Saka, Emile Smith-Rowe, Gabriel Martinelli. You know, we, we're looking for those guys to continue the trajectories they have and somebody like Gabriel Jesus can can help in that regard. And that experience, I think, is is an aspect of this that, that is important in that regard. When we think about the development of, of players, we don't often think about how can another player aid the development of, you know, these young talents that we have at the club. And just to go back on what you were saying about you know, his own trajectory. You can't really draw too many parallels, but we've had players in the past who've come to this football club who have been big names, but who have maybe had a couple of seasons where things haven't gone quite uh, as well as they would have liked for them. You think, again, I'm not making direct comparisons, so nobody like hit me with sticks over this, but Dennis Bergkamp, when he went to Inter Milan, it didn't work. He came to Arsenal and was brilliant. Mark Overmars, a guy who, you know, was thrilling at, at Ajax, but who had a cruciate injury at a time when cruciate injuries were, you know, perhaps um, a little more serious than they are these days. Thierry Henry had gone to Juventus, didn't do it. There have been plenty of examples of players who've, who've sort of hit a plateau or fallen away a little bit and then needed a move to get themselves back to where they 
thought they were going to go or where people thought they were going to go. So I'm not saying Gabriel Jesus coming to Arsenal on the back of, you know, nearly 100 goals for Man City, nearly 50 assists in just over 200 games. It's not like he's coming, you know, downtrodden and beaten down by the world of football. You know, he's got four Premier League winners medals. And I don't know, I think he's won 17 EFL uh, Cup medals as well in the four or five years that he's been there because that's what City do. You know, plenty of trophies, plenty of medals, plenty of winning, but perhaps at a point in his career where it just needs something else to to spark him, not back into life, but to to get that trajectory going upwards again. It, yeah, it's a really rare signing because usually if you sign a guy with four Premier League winners medals, he's probably 30. Yeah. And yeah. probably coming to Arsenal is a bit like, you know, I guess a bit like Willian. Mm. Um, I maybe wouldn't level this at David Luiz so much, but... It's, it's an end-of-career move. This guy's 25. How rare is it to sign a guy who's won four Premier League titles mm. and had a good part in all of those? He hasn't been kicking his heels on the bench or in a tracksuit. He's been playing, and but still he has something to prove. And that's what's really mm. interesting to me because usually if a player takes like a bit of a step down, it can be a bit, mm, Arsenal's beneath me a little bit. Yeah. I don't think we're getting that here at all. We're getting a guy, well, he's won five league titles because he won one in Brazil as well but he's still got something to prove. Um, it, it's I like what you're talking about there. It's pure money ball, isn't it? This yeah. is money ball signing, finding the players that are undervalued on the market. And I think Gabriel Jesus is one of those, albeit at, at a high level. And look, I know, I know elements of the money ball film were a bit um, apocryphal, but what was that line they kept repeating in it? He gets on base. Yeah, Gabriel yeah, yeah. Jesus gets on base. That's that's. I think that's a fair assumption we can make. And the other interesting thing for this player, it's not just about proving himself, you know, as an even higher level talent in the Premier League. But it's. I think I do think it's really tied to his international ambitions. And you look at the Brazil mm. squad; they are stacked in the wide forward areas like no other team. Um, you know, they've got Hafinha there, Neymar, Gabriel Martinelli, Vinicius Junior. Rodrigo, um, Anthony, who's about to go to Manchester United, doesn't even get in the squad. Mm. Big wake-up call. And, and Gabriel Jesus had kind of decided to fall into that pack of wide forwards. And that's where all the competition is. Yeah. And I think the big wake-up call for him was he, was, he didn't make the Brazil squad um, at the end of last year. He was left out. And I think for him, that was a, whoa, okay. Um, I need, I need to, I need to get my shit together and get back in in this squad. And you look at the Brazil squad mm. as it always was, and the reason he broke into that team when he was nineteen is because number nine is where the gap is. And I think that this is really tied to that. I, I really yeah. think and hope that basically the conversations that Edu and Arteta have had with him is like, look, you know, there's an opening at number nine at Arsenal. There's a massive big gap with your name on it there. Mm. And Edu in particular could say to him, I'm sure Edu still talks to Chite. I don't know how much, but they're very, very good friends. They're very, very close. I'm pretty sure he could say to him, you know where the gap is in the Brazil squad as well, mate, don't you? Yeah. Like, and if you want, you, you've got the number nine shirt at Arsenal, that's yours. The number nine for Brazil, that's up for grabs still. And that can be yours again. And I, I really think that there's a strong element of that, particularly in a World Cup year, where he's thought, okay, if I go and do it as the number nine for Arsenal, 
I'll get picked for Brazil in that in that spot. Well, yeah, that that's it. And we had a question here from uh, Dushiant Gupta, who's at Dushiant AFC on Twitter, who said a topic of discussion uh, discussion could be how Gabriel Jesus is perceived in Brazil, uh, his mentality, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And like that World Cup year, as you mentioned, it's coming up in November. Um, there are a lot of good wide players for Brazil, and this number nine. I mean, is it? wrong to suggest that he is in some ways rebranding himself not just taking the number nine shirt at Arsenal but sort of rebranding himself as a player who will be perceived more as a center forward than uh, you know the, the sort of versatile forward he has been at Man City yeah yeah I think so it, it's kind of complicated in terms of how he'd be seen in Brazil the discourse around the Brazilian national team is exceptionally harsh, exceptionally harsh, harsher, you know, for mm. English people listening who live in England, it's harsh around England. It's got nothing on Brazil. Like the expectations are sky high. Um, there's a lot of discontent around the national team because all the players now they leave when they're 17, 18. So they feel like strangers, like for the Brazilian public, the Brazil team feels like something that's very distant a bit Harlem Globetrotters. They don't even play their friendlies in Brazil. They go around the world. So there's not a big, strong emotional connection. And also, pretty much people, again, a bit like England, people are only really asked about the World Cup, but they're asked about the World Cup in a way that I don't think any other nation is. Mm. So basically, in Brazil, what you do in a World Cup will define you as a player, essentially. And Gabriel Jesus, unfortunately, for reasons I went into in the column last week that I won't repeat, um, he didn't score. I don't think he played badly. I don't think that was necessarily all his fault, but people don't care. They don't care about mm. tactical nuances and stuff like that. It's like it, like it's 210 million people, and I promise you they all watch the World Cup, <laughs> and it's very, very harsh spotlight. And frankly, it's a lot of people who don't really watch football that often, so they just see number nine, didn't score goals, must be shit. Simple as that. Mm. And so everything else he'd done up to that point almost doesn't come into it. It's just like, what did you do in the World Cup? That's it. And so I think there is an element to which what he does, assuming he goes to this World Cup in November, he knows, you know, you know that the old adage, you're only as good as your last game. Sure. I'd say roughly with the Brazilian public, you're as good as your last World Cup. That That's where where it all counts. So he'll know how big a tournament this is for him. I don't think with the amount of time we've got left, he can break in as a starting 11 player again. I think that will have to be a bit more gradual. Um, but he can come off the bench and score some goals at the very least. And I think I think he will be conscious about that. And I think that will matter to him. And that's all good for Arsenal. Mm. While he has something to prove at international level, that, that can only be good news for Arsenal, in my view. Um, we did a Patreon podcast, um, which people can listen to. Myself and Phil Costa did it last week, and we spoke a bit about the player and, and the kind of player that he is and what he is going to bring to Arsenal. But, you know, as a seasoned Arsenal observer, you know, we've had some issues at centre-forward over the last little while, and, and I'm curious as to what you think is the, the main quality Gabriel Jesus will bring to this team beyond you know, the obvious stick it in the back of the neck uh, stuff that we want from any centre forward. You know, it feels to me uh, that there has been a fairly slow, perhaps almost glacial um, 
shift in the way that Arsenal are playing under Mikel Arteta. There were certain things that he had to do when he came in first. There were certain things that he tried to do, but we it feels like we're moving in a very definite direction. How quickly we move there is another question, and I think a lot of that will depend on this summer's business and what else we get done, and we might talk about that in, in a few minutes. But when you think about what Gabriel Jesus will offer Arsenal up front, it, it feels more dynamic. It feels more modern. It feels more energetic. Um, you know, and I don't want to cast aspersions on other players. I'm sure you, you, will, I will. If you, feel, you will if you feel like it. I listened to you on the Arsenal Vision podcast the other week having a good crack at, at Lacazette, but that's that's neither here nor there as far as I'm concerned. I'm looking ahead to the future. But, you know, those those qualities that he brings, um, they, they really can help a team develop in a specific way. There was another question here. I don't know if I can find it. I've got one that I think might be the one you're because I was going to read it out. Is it from Cartoon Baldy? Could be. I can't remember. I'm just looking. Uh, you go ahead, read it out if it's there. Yeah, because it, it, it refers to this quite strongly. Cartoon Baldy at Cartoon Baldy. Seeing as we have, um, oh yeah, can Tim paint a picture of how he sees Jesus performing as a nine with our current cast of attacking players mm. around him? Um, so one thing I will promise you about Gabriel Jesus, the thing is about this signing getting over the line, incidentally, is now I've gone into this weird space where I feel responsible for it. And if it, <laughs> if it doesn't work, yeah, you're toast, I know my, you're my Twitter fucked. mentions will be a mess. They'll be like, you said that this was the guy. <laughs> so I'm ready for that. I feel like I've got ownership of this signing now. But one thing I'll promise you about Gabriel Jesus, he never, he never stands still. So you 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 know you reference the word dynamic there, and maybe the the guy who was wearing the number nine previously didn't quite give you that impression. Both in the <laughs> box, outside the box, he never stands still. He's got that real um, South American striker quality where mm. he's relentless, and that's why when Manchester City play a big game, he usually plays, and mm -hmm. but usually on the right, and that tells you how hard he works because. Pep would put him there thinking, I know I'm going to get it in the other direction. Um, and that's quite a thing to have a striker, principally a striker, the guy with the number nine on his back and say, actually, he's such a hard worker that I can play him on the flank because I know he'll come back and help. Mm. Um, so he's he's a real fighter. He's He's always alive. He's always alert. And you saw the difference it made, Eddie Nketiah doing something like that to, yeah. you know, to, to like a reasonable level um, compared to what we had, like it jumped out at you compared to, yeah, you know, Lacazette. Like Jesus will come to the centre circle and he'll link play and do all of that moderate value stuff that Lacazette did. But the reason he'll help others score goals is because he'll then do this weird thing that we haven't seen for a while <laughs> where he'll then get in the box afterwards. Like he'll run into the penalty area and, and, that's why he scores a lot of goals because basically as a striker, 95% of your time is spent making runs that don't do anything and mm. don't go anywhere. Maybe sometimes you make room for someone else. Um, I remember reading a really good interview with Gary Lineker by Michael Cox actually a couple of years ago where they looked back at some of his goals and like Michael asked him, why did you think to do that run? And Gary Lineker kept saying, what you didn't see is I made that run about 10 times before that and it went nowhere. <laughs> and so you need that kind of, that sense of relentlessness and Jesus has that. So mm. 
he will keep moving in the penalty area. And, and that's why I, I think I saw us, I think all of his goals for Man City were inside the area. And um, I might really? be slightly mis, yeah, I, sl- I might be slightly misquoting, but I saw a stat something like he is the highest score. I mean, this is a little bit of an obscure stat, but the highest scoring Premier League player to never score from outside the area. Wow. Um, so he really picks up those positions and he really, one of his favorite positions is the back post. He loves that back post run. Mm. Um, and I've just got visions of Bukayo Saka uh, feeding that kind of time and time again, maybe even Kieran Tierney. He scores a lot of headers, Gabriel Jesus as well. And I know, you know, I, I've been quite like, he's not a target man. He's not going to bring you that. But he scores headers in the box. It's not because he outjumps people. It's because he's good at finding space. Um, and, and essentially, there is a reason that Man City initially bought him to be the the long-term Aguero replacement, which he hasn't quite done. Yeah. Um, but it's because he has a lot of similarities to a player like Aguero. Like he's 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 always on the move and he's always looking for that space and he finds that little bit of space. And and I think that relentlessness, both in and outside the box, will suit Arsenal to a T. Yeah. And I know you guys have quoted on this podcast many times, Pep, Chite, both to get into their teams, you have to work your ass off. Mm. Uh, Chite is very much, I'd say a bit like Arteta. First of all, he plays that positional football, but it's very much, if you don't work for me, you're not playing. Um, and, and so like to have that kind of recommendation, I guess, from those two coaches, that tells you the kind of player you're getting. Yeah. He's he's always on the move and he works his absolute arse off. And and I really think, particularly, I think at the beginning, I'm really I'm really expecting him to start strongly because this is. We all saw what happened at the end of last season once defenses worked out that Lacazette, yeah, he'll drop off, but he won't do the other bit. Mm. going the other way. I really hope we can catch some teams by surprise um, when they come to play Arsenal and they're like, oh shit, this guy goes to the centre circle, but then like five seconds later, he's in the area again. And so I, I really hope and think he might start quite quickly. Yeah, I mean, that, there's no issue of adaptation to England, English football, the English language, the weather, any of it. He knows it all um, uh, at this point. So yeah, that would be that would be great. And look, if you're a central defender and you follow a guy into midfield, the last thing you want to do is turn around and run backwards or looking over your shoulder to see where he is. Just on the goals thing, it was quite funny. I went to Transfer Marked and they do some analysis of goals. You can filter the goals by various types. So the various types are left-footed shot, right-footed shot, header, penalty, you know, direct free kick, counter-attacking goal. One of them is long distance. Um, and I assume long distance is pretty much anything from outside the box. I filtered all of his career goals by long distance, no goals, um, yeah. which isn't a criticism because, of course, we have Thomas Partey who can smash them in from long distance uh, from midfield, you see. Um, so we don't need that from him. But it is curious to think that he is very, very much a, a penalty box uh, striker or goal scorer. You know, when you when you think about... Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang, for example, and what kind of a player he was or primarily where his goals came from. I think there was a bit more variety, you know, during his time at Arsenal, some long distance, because I remember similarly, he whacked in a couple from long distance or from outside the box and there were stats going around that this is like the first 
time he scored from outside the box since he was six or some whatever it was, you know. But but how we play and how we fashion chances, how we create chances, I think this is going to be very very interesting. When you think about the players that we are going to surround Gabriel Jesus with. From the left-hand side, Smith-Rowe, Martinelli. From the right-hand side, Bukayo Saka, Martin Odegaard, Fabio Vieira in there as well. We're looking... Uh, it looks like we're trying to increase the um, the craft, if you like. And I think there might be another question w- w- with regards midfield when it comes to this. But, but certainly adding players who can make that final pass... And I, I think like Odegaard, Vieira certainly, who had more assists in uh, the second half of last season than than anybody else. Uh, Bakayo Saka is capable too. Martinelli got some assists. Smith-Rowe, I wouldn't say that's necessarily his strongest uh, point. I think he's more someone who gets on the end of things than creates yeah. things. But, you know, bringing in a striker like Gabriel Jesus is all well and good. But if you don't have anybody who can make chances for him, then you know, he's pissing in the wind in a way. A hundred percent. And the sort of goal I'd, I'd tell you to look out for that I think we'll see a fair bit of. I said mm. he likes attacking that that back post from the left-hand side. A lot of his City goals, like when I when I think about his City goals, I think of De Bruyne in that right half space, swinging the ball to the back post and Jesus mm. on the back post, usually with some kind of stooping header. When you look at who we have in the right half space, I think Saka, I think Erdegaard, I think it looks pretty obvious that, that Fabio Vieira operates in those areas mm. as well. So that kind of corner of the penalty area, chopping back onto the left foot. Do you remember the goal Abamyang scored? I think it was against Benfica in the Europa League. It was Saka um, cross, wasn't it? It was a real yeah, late goal. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, on the back post. I'd say look out for that kind of goal mm. quite a lot. And and by the way, the other player who really has that, that right to left whip uh, on the right foot is Tielemans. Um and so that that might be an interesting one. So I'd say look for that because everyone knows that Arsenal will probably overload the right side a little bit more. Like Saka and Erdegaard are on the right, right? Mm. That's where a lot of Arsenal generate a lot of their threat. So if you drag teams over to that side of the pitch, I think there's a good chance you maybe leave that left back post open mm. a little bit. That's certainly what happens with Man City because they have De Bruyne there. They have Kyle Walker there. Uh, sometimes they have Gundogan there. They they kind of really overload on that right Myers. side. Yeah, exactly. They they suck you over to that side of the pitch, and then they just like switch it to the back post. And I I, I really wouldn't be surprised if that's a move mm. that we see Arsenal try to repeat, and that that becomes a bit of a trademark Gabriel Jesus finish. But the other type of goal we don't get enough of is the cutback goal, right? because we haven't really had anyone in the area. Like Lacazette's just not been there enough. And none of the central midfielders really do that that kind of Ramsey run, I guess. Smith-Rowe maybe a little bit, yeah. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, but, I, you know, I think that's on now. Like the yeah. cut, but if we can get Jesus or one of the, uh, sorry, um, Saka or one of the fullbacks um, to the byline, the pullback goal is on. That That's another type of goal that Jesus scored stacks of at Man City. In fact, I think every forward player at City has scored mm. stacks of that type of goal. And, and I really think that with that level of invention that Arsenal have, and now they've got they've got the, a strike, well, mm. and potentially two in Eddie Nketiah um, as well, who can really score that kind of 
yep, I'll just hang around on the edge of the six yard area and you can pull it back to me. Mm. Um, a little bit like uh, one of the few open play goals Lacazette did score last season at home to Southampton, like that yeah. kind of move, which ended yeah. with a, a Saka kind of cut back and Great Lacazette finish, yeah. on the penalty spot. Yeah, like that's the type of goal. I can see Arsenal score, at least generating a lot more threat with right. now. So you're basically predicting Cedric as our top assist maker for next season. Gotcha. <laughs> Absolutely. Again, if you if you want like a big whooping cross on the right-hand side to the back post, I mean, Cedric's your man. Whether there's anyone there or not, that's where he's going to put the ball. That's it. So. That's, it. that's the responsibility of, of other players. They know what he's going to do. They can't just stand around and watch. So look, um, I do have a question or two before we go into the break and, and we'll take more questions, of course, in, in part two. But so far this summer, um, you know, we've brought in Marquinhos, we've brought in Fabio Vieira, we've brought in Matt Turner, we've brought in Gabriel Jesus. It is uh, July the 4th. Um, hello to all our American listeners. How do you how do you view the the window thus far? Because there's been good bits, obviously, and then there's been some frustrations. I think the Rafinha thing really got people very excited because you know who doesn't like an exciting winger coming into your team. There's the worry, I guess, about someone like Lissandro Martinez uh, because Manchester United are interested. Like you know. I think it makes it um, a bit like the Chelsea Rafinha thing. You know, if you if you miss out on a player to another Premier League rival, it's like ah fuck, you know. But how do you how do you assess the window thus far? Are you happy enough with what's gone on? Uh, very much so. Yeah, I mean it, it's very rare for on July the fourth. I'd say Arsenal have got their number one target, mm. um, and in principle, I think the Gabriel Jesus thing has been done for a long time as yeah. well. Um, you know, Matt Turner, we already knew about. Fabio Vieira kind of came out of out of the blue. The, the way I assess it, and now there's like this clutch. There's two things going on, really, I think, for the rest of the summer. One, I won't preempt because I know we have loads of questions about mm. sales. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that will be very much like chop that off, leave that to Edu. Let's get try and mm. get everyone in before the season starts. And then once the season starts, take Arteta away from that and then just say to Edu, there's a load of guys that we yeah. don't want try and get money for them. And sure. it won't happen until the last week of August. But so there's, there's that, there's the kind of decapitation bit still to happen. And I don't mm. think that was ever going to happen before the last week of August, but now we're in that kind of clutch of players like Jesus, I think number one target do pretty much whatever it takes to get him. The groundwork for that started a long time ago. And by the way, very, very unique position as well, where we've got the players, mm. former coach, and someone the player knows very, very well from the national team. Um, like, if Arsenal couldn't get that, as good a deal as it is, mm. and as much as there was competition, if you can't get a transfer done when you've got the guy's former coach and, um, you know, someone who called him up to the Brazil team, like, yeah, go yeah, home, because yeah. you can't do yeah, anything. I think that's fair. Um, and, you know, like the backup goalie, that, that's not a difficult deal to do. The Fabio Vieira one, that's the surprise one. And I imagine that happened quite quickly just because there was a set price and we said, yep, we'll pay it. That's fine. That's reasonable to us. The others that we seem to be in now, the Tielemans, Martinez, Hafinha triangle, mm. that to me, I think that's maybe, you know, they weren't, they're still priorities, but not as big as Gabriel Jesus was. Mm. And I suspect there is some interdependency between these deals against our budget. So as much as like for us, it's quite frustrating to see, ah, Ajax just want an extra 5 million for Martinez. 
just pay them the extra five million or mm. Leicester just want another couple of million for Tielemans, do it. Like it if there is a knock on effect then to that, like, oh if okay, but if we go for forty million for Martinez, that leaves us no room on Hafinha, it leaves us no room on Tielemans. Like mm. do you know what I mean? I, I don't know, but I suspect that yeah. there is some interrelated stuff going on there. Yeah. And it looks like they, from the reporting we have, it looks like they think, right, Tielemans is a deal we can do. We know roughly the price we can do it at. Now we've got these other two balls in the air and we need to see where they go mm. and how much money we've got left over once those are done or not done or, or whatever. So yeah. I think now we're, we're in the kind of the spinning plates area sure. of the transfer window. So I'd, I'd split this transfer window into three bits. First bit is done, the big, the big target and... Yeah, a couple of other targets. The third bit, the sales, that will happen after the season started. And now we're in that kind of, we're in that holy trinity of signing targets. And I'm certain we won't get all three of them by any means. But, you know, we're probably looking at at it and going, if we can get two, Mm. that's good. And then if we can, but if we can get those two tied up, then we can work out what we do with the other position etc etc so really i guess what i'm saying is i think we're in the difficult part of the transfer window now because i don't think with jesus i don't think there was much haggling with man city maybe a bit but i think it was pretty much if we do one signing this summer it has to be that one yeah so pretty much pay what they ask and then the other ones we might think "Hmm, actually we we like martinez we don't think he's worth going another six million for so this is the interesting part of the summer i think and a lot because i think the sales will happen um probably for lots of knockdown fees and things like that but they'll happen so i i think the mood music of the transfer window will probably depend on what happens between now and i'd say the start of the season sure the next like four weeks i see is very key what about uh, we had a question from some little known um outfit called Arsenal Vision podcast uh, on our discord he said, no me neither uh, he said what business still needs to get done for you to be able to say we had a successful window uh, and i think this is a really interesting one to consider because how do you view like what's your definition of a successful window because like do bad sales make an unsuccessful window that's a question that people will wrestle over like you know you could say we should get this for that player we should get this for that player etc cetera, etc cetera. but Ultimately, I think what I'm more interested in is what our team and our squad looks like at the end of the window rather than the bank balance or, dare I say it, the net spend. You know, I'm far more interested in what kind of a squad we have going into next season. And I think, for me anyway, that will define the success of the transfer window if we can get some good sales and if we can find nice homes for some of our nice lads who want to move on brilliant i'm all for it i hope they have a great time i hope they go on to have lots of success and if we get some money in brilliant all the better but i don't think for me that will define the success of the window and i think something i wrote about today which i think is an interesting aspect is that like the midfield you know we talked about it a couple of weeks ago, didn't we? When we were on with um, uh, with Phil Costa, we were doing like, okay, right, everyone says striker and central midfielder. Those are the two things that we have to get done, the two priorities. 
after that, what's next? And, mm. you know, we had a discussion about that, but I think pretty much set in stone for everybody was the idea that we were going to bring in a central midfield player, whether it's Yuri Tielemans or somebody else. But but that player was pretty much taken for granted as a necessity for Arsenal this summer. Do you still think that's the case? Do you think maybe that some of the moves we're seeing or some of the li- uh, names we're being linked to or or the apparent... Uh, I'm not going to say disinterest in Tielemans, but the lack of any update beyond like people on Twitter going, the latest update on Yuri Tielemans is there is no update. And I'm thinking that's that's not an update. I know some of you ITK guys have really got to put yourselves out there, but no news is not an update. Anyway, that's by the by. Um, you know, is it quiet because we're confident or maybe there's been a slight change of plan based on based on some of the other uh, players that are available to us. Yeah, just on, on that kind of uh, no update is not an update. Yeah. I, I, on the Arsenal Vision pod, I'm on an expected Simpsons analogy of one per episode. <laughs> and it's and it's a hard strike rate to keep up, so I have to drop this in. But it's like the... You remember that episode where Bart has to get up at four o'clock in the morning to help Principal Skinner? Oh, yeah. yeah. He turns the radio on and it just says, and the news is... There is no news because everyone's asleep in their comfy, comfy beds. And that's that's kind of what it's like. Um, so I think in terms of what would represent a good window, we still need more goals in the team, um, I think. And I think if you told me we could only make one more signing this summer, um, you know, it would be a close run thing between the left eight and another forward. I'd still go for another forward. And my rationale would be this. Um, I think essentially, if you want to look at it crudely, Gabriel Jesus is replacing Aubameyang as our mm-hmm. you know, reliable goal scorer. I think Eddie Nketiah, I know we've had him since he was 14, so it sounds a bit ridiculous to say this, but really he's the kind of, I guess, the Lacazette replacement. Sure. Um, that other kind of number nine. And by the way, I think another thing to look for next season, I don't think Gabriel Jesus will start on the right almost ever for Arsenal, but a go-to substitution with 20 minutes to go, don't be don't be surprised if Inketia comes on mm. and then Gabriel Jesus goes to the right for the last 20 minutes when we need a goal. Um, so Inketia, you know, we're bumping him up. Mm-hmm. But we're also almost certainly losing Pepe, right? And that's, um, for all the flaws of the player, that's goals. That was meant to be our first choice front three. It never worked out like that. But that was meant to be our first choice front three. So essentially, we've replaced two of them, but not the third. We need the Pepe replacement, I think. And I think, I know it's difficult sometimes to say that because we didn't really see Pepe last season. But actually, that's, that's opportunity cost as far as I'm concerned. We missed that player last yeah, season. Yeah, I know what you mean. Know, yeah, yeah. Yeah, like Saka played every game and he played brilliantly. But A, we can't expect him to play every game anymore. And B, what a wonderful thing it would have been to be able to make that substitution and perhaps just move Saka to the left and bring someone else on sure. on the right who can score goals, you know? So we still we still need to raise that ceiling. And by the way, we are miles short in goals scored against... And the thing is as well, it's not realistic to say that we'll challenge for the title at this stage. Not realistic at all. But we should be looking at Liverpool and Man City. We shouldn't be looking so much when we're doing our squad build at Spurs. How can we be better than Spurs? Really, what you should be doing is 
what do Liverpool and Man City do? They score 100 goals mm. a season. We are miles and miles short of that. And I don't think, as much as I love the boy to bits, I don't think Gabriel Jesus is scoring us 40 goals next season. So no. we need more goals. <laughs> and, and, and I do think we can get more because of the stuff I said about Gabriel Jesus. And I still think there's more in Martinelli. And I do think Gabriel Jesus can bring that out in him as well. But I just think we need more goals. Then I do think the left eight is important. I don't think it's quite as important because I think Xhaka has done a reasonable job there. There's a ceiling on what he can produce there, but it's it's like it's not it's not an emergency, I don't think. I think it's somewhere I'd really like to see us, you know, get that kind of upgrade. Mm. But I don't think it's like that that player is there. I look at the forward line and that player just isn't there. A yeah. bit like the number nine. It's like, we don't have one. Well, we have Nketiah. Yeah, we had a gap. You know, the, the, exactly. the difference between an upgrade and uh, an absence, if you like. It, exactly, exactly. But nevertheless, I, I don't want to shirk from the fact that the left eight is important. Mm. It is. And I, and I want to see that field. I, I mean, I have to say, like, this isn't an imaginative thing to say. I really like the profile of the players Arsenal are targeting because Martinez, that to me, that makes a lot of sense. Um, I've seen a bit of the player playing for Argentina. Uh, I haven't really seen him at club level, but I think it makes a lot of sense to have a guy who can cover three important positions to a high level. And so I know some people are raising eyebrows about the price but mm. I think a player like that is someone you might say, okay, look, factually, if everyone's fit, maybe you don't start. But if any one of Xhaka, um, Gabriel, Tierney, I mean, Tierney, there's your 15 games a season at least, straight mm. away. If any one of them injured, you cut, like, I really think with your squad players, you either want them to be young, um, so they've got a bit of upside and you can have a bit of a look at them and they can fill those roles and usually they fill them quite willingly or you want someone versatile because what you don't want with a squad player is like what we've got with Cedric, for example, the one player who covers one guy because if that one guy doesn't get injured, you don't play. Mm. It's almost like the goalkeeper thing. I think you want the players beneath that starting eleven to be you can play two or three positions. And I think that that's probably the thinking with Fabio Vieira. I think yeah. there's a kind of, look, you're the backup maybe for Erdegaard and Saka. So look, if, if if you're just the backup for Saka and he doesn't get injured, you're not playing. But you're the backup for kind of both of them and maybe the left eight. So there's like three roles in the team you can fill. You'll get football this mm. year, basically. Because what you don't want is you don't want what we had last season, which is oh, fuck, party's injured. We've got to play Sambi Lukonga and he hasn't kicked a ball since November. Like, you don't want that. Mm. So I do think those deals are important. I think we're going for the right ones. At the same time, I don't anticipate for one second that Martinez, Tielemans and Hafinha are all playing for Arsenal next season. No. Can't see I all think, three, yeah. No. Two, two of those would be brilliant and then you go further down the list for the other one. But I, I'd say I'd feel in order another attacker who can add potentially double figures in goals, left eight, my second in my kind of hierarchy, and then mm. the Martinez type is probably third in my hierarchy. If we get all three of those, delighted, absolutely delighted. Yeah. If we get two, reasonably happy. Again, depending on which one we miss out on. 
if we get one or fewer, then no, I don't think we, we've done what we need to do in the transfer window. Yeah, it'll be very interesting to see what kind of what kind of, if, uh, for want of a better word, fail-safes they're putting in place or they think they need for Thomas Partey and Kieran Tierney, whose absences last season were really, really damaging. Uh, and we don't need to go over that again. The Martinez thing is very interesting to me because, you know, there's talk about him as a left-back, talk about him as a central midfielder, talk about him as a, a centre-half. And when you look at his, uh, his career, basically most of his football is played at centre-half. You know, 139 games at centre-half, 22 as a defensive midfielder, just 12 as a left-back. But again, you know, let's go back in time and think Arsene Wenger bringing in somebody like Lauren and telling him, uh, you know what, you're a right-back. And he's like, what are you talking about? I don't play right-back. I play central midfield or I play on the right uh, of midfield. I don't play right-back. And all of a sudden you're repurposing. I'm not saying Mikel Arteta has got those kind of um, alchemist qualities, you know, to turn <laughs> turn uh, one player into something different. But you can understand maybe why um, a player of his profile would be targeted. Um, yeah, definitely. I, I, I just add something on that. I mean, first of all, um, I, I think also the other thing with the left eight is I do look at players in the squad and think potentially you could develop to play there. Yeah, you could look at Saka, um, you could look at yeah. Fabio Vieira, you could look at Smith Rowe. Exactly. You know, so the, so maybe they think the if it's not necessarily a priority that with a bit more development, like another year of Xhaka while you coach that player into that position might be what they're thinking. I don't yeah. know if that's the case, but, but you know. With, with Martinez, what I'd say is Argentina produce a lot of players like this, right, who um, actually we, we used to have one of them in Nelson Vivas. I know that's not a name that will excite people, <laughs> but Vivas had a really good career um, in general. You know, mm. he was a full Argentina international for a long time. Um, they produce a lot of these kind of slightly versatile, um, quite usually quite stocky defenders. So I'm thinking Vivas, um, I, again, not a name that will excite people because he was crap at Man U, but everyone's crap at Man U. Marcus Rojo, mm. another one who is that kind of left back, left centre back. Um, people might remember Juan Pablo Sorin, uh, who played for Villarreal. He was another one. He played left back, but he often played in the left of a midfield three mm. as well. And I think Martinez is similar, right, in that he basically, there's like a triangular area of the pitch in the left defensive half space, mm. kind of where Jacker operates, where he operates. So whether you put him left back, left centre back, left central midfield, he kind of does something similar. Like he's very much, he's quite a modern player, I'd say, in that he plays in an area rather than a position. Sure, yeah, if yeah, that yeah. Makes sense. And I think Jack is like that as well. Yeah. Uh, my mind instantly, when you talk about our Argentinian defenders, um, someone like Roberto Ayala, who was not a big guy but played a lot at centre half. Um, Gabriel Ainsa, who was at Man United and was really good there. He was yeah. primarily a left back but played a lot of centre half yeah. as well. Very similar build, mm. uh, everything. All right. Well, look, it's all ahead of us. And as you say, I think we're heading into a period in the transfer window where uh, plates are spinning and maybe one thing might depend on another thing happening or something happening elsewhere. Um, we will leave it right there now for part one because we're going to come back. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me. We're going to come back and do questions in part two right after this. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. 
Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Welcome back to the Arscast Extra. This is part two of the show where we answer questions that you sent to us on Twitter at Stilberto and also at Arsblog and on the Arsblog Discord chat server, which you get access to if you are an Arsblog member on Patreon. Uh, let's just do one more on Gabriel Jesus before we move on to other uh, subjects. This one comes from Major General Pepper, who's at uh, Theodox underscore dip on Twitter. He says, Goodly morning. I have this question in my head. Uh, if Pep speaks so highly of Gabriel Jesus, yet he spent the last two seasons crying about a striker, then goes on to buy two strikers this summer, what did he see that we don't see? Should we be concerned? Yeah, happy to take that one. And by the way, Major General Pepper is a, is a great uh, Twitter handle. I was wondering whether he's like a rank above Sergeant, Sergeant Pepper yeah. uh, in the army. But so I, I'd say on this one, so first of all, I mean, one of the strikers, City, like, so he refers to City signing two strikers this summer. Mm. One of them's Erling Haaland. No one wants to piss on uh, this parade less than me, but I'm sorry to inform you that Gabriel Jesus is not as good as Erling Haaland. Sorry about that. Um, if you can sign Erling Haaland, you should sign him. Mm. And pretty much whoever your striker is, Erling Haaland's going to play. So I think we can take that one out of the running. The Alvarez signing for Man City, that I think is because Jesus is leaving. I don't think they're doing that, that City are doing that to you know because they think he's better than Gabriel Jesus. I think mm. it's the other way around, um, basically. What I can tell you, we, we kind of covered why he's not been playing the striker role. What I can tell you definitely is City did not want to lose this player. They didn't want to lose Gabriel Jesus. They were open to giving giving him a new contract, but he do, he doesn't want it at this stage, basically. He wants to move on, mm. which, which I think is the right decision for him. So I wouldn't be too worried about that. Um, but obviously, again, we covered kind of in part one about the him like being the man, becoming a striker. Yeah. Um, and, and obviously, yes, to reiterate, there is an element of risk in that because, you know, he might decide that he did. it might be a bit Theo Walcott. He might decide he doesn't want to be a striker again mm. in a year or two. But I wouldn't be too concerned about that. No, I, his decision to play as a wide forward was his decision, not his coach's decision. So right. um, I, I wouldn't be too concerned about that one. Um, uh, this was the question that I was referring to earlier before I let you ask a question. Just uh, I spoke about it Um in the first half, and it comes from Seb J on the Discord. He said, uh, with Jesus arriving as a new number nine, I was wondering what your thoughts were on how much impact one signing can really have on a team. Are there past examples at Arsenal or other clubs where specifically one signing made a direct and significant impact to our league and cup performances? Obviously, it's more complicated than one player, but we'll be interested to hear your thoughts. And like the idea that he's going to come in and be the panacea to all of our problems, I don't think is quite it. But I, I I feel like in recent years you could point to somebody like Virgil van Dijk at Liverpool as the player who helped them make a big step forward, but only because they built a team or a platform or a squad where, 
you know, they needed that that extra bit of quality, if you like. I think we're still um, we're still building, if you like. We're in very much a rebuild phase. As um, maybe people won't want to hear that, but when you look at the deals that we're doing and the way that we're reshuffling the squad and 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 everything else, we are obviously rebuilding from from what's happened in the past. So I just wanted to reference that, and I, I think obviously Gabriel Jesus will be a very important part of what's going on, but I don't think he's necessarily the guy who's going to make us take a huge, huge step forward and become title contenders. We still have some work to do in that regard. Yeah, definitely. And and if you're looking in terms of Arsenal, um, that guy that, that gives you an immediate step forward, I mean, obviously Dennis Bergkamp, yeah. right? We signed him when we finished 12th. We signed Dennis Bergkamp and we finished fifth. Like yeah. that, that tells a story. Sol Campbell, um, we'd finished second by a long distance behind Man U. We signed him, we win the league. Mm. Um, so that, but again, well, I, I guess Bergkamp was actually the first part of a of a bit of a rebuild, whereas Sol Campbell was like the final part of the rebuild. The Van Dyke, um, in a way, almost. Yeah, exactly, exactly. It was just like Tony Adams is is getting old. We need to replace him. Let's go. <laughs> He's been the best English defender of the last twenty years. Mm. Let's go and get the other best English defender. It's like kind of that simple, and I guess. Um, one that involves Arsenal, maybe I shouldn't invoke is Van Persie going to Man U um, mm. in 2012. If you think about it, the most routine transfer ever in that Manchester United lose the league title on goal difference in 2012 and their move is to sign the golden boot winner yeah. <laughs> to address that issue <laughs> and then they immediately win the league. Again, that's very much a, a final piece of the sure. jigsaw. G- generally speaking, I, I don't think you get many of those transfers at all, really. And and it's usually like two or three players. So again, you look at the Invincibles, there are about five signings you could point to there mm. at different points in time. What I'd say about Gabriel Jesus is to put it like this, we got, what, four league goals from Aubameyang last season, four from Lacazette. Mm. I think half of those were penalties. So that's like... Basically, Arsenal's number nine, until Nketiah came into the team, mm-hmm. Arsenal's number nine, whoever that was, gave us about four league goals from open play. Yeah. Um, again, that's, that's an to, area to, for improvement, all right. Yeah, yeah. To, again, to pitch this, perhaps to bring the parade back up from my shocking, he's not as good as Erling Haaland talk. <laughs> if Gabriel Jesus stays fit, he will score more than four league goals. More than four league goals. You're putting, you're putting your neck on the line right there, Tim, for <laughs> sure. <laughs> he, I, he'll outscore both of them put together. That, right. That's my kind of promise to you. All right. Your question. Yeah, sure. I thought this was um, a really interesting one uh, from Twitter at Hakan Ash. Uh, sorry, Hakan Ashtrup at Hawkon Ashtrup. Um, can you tell me why we are chasing another left-footed attacker in Hafinha when we've already signed Vieira and Marquinhos, have Saka, and have not yet sold Pepe? Where will Saka play with another left-footed right winger? Yeah, I mean. I think it goes to what you're saying about needing more goals in the team and needing more goal threat in the team. Um, I, I do wonder if there's a bit of opportunism about the Rafinha um, pursuit because they know he's available. Leeds are willing to sell. He's on the market for, I suppose, what would be a relatively reasonable price. I mean, I think around 50 million was reasonable for a player. Yeah. Like him, once you start going to the 65, 70, I get quite uncomfortable with that kind of price tag and what comes with it, as we've seen with with Pepe. Um, 
what it means for Saka. I mean, I don't know. There's a lot of talk about the left eight. There's a lot of talk about him playing from the left. I think he's good enough to play in many positions. I think he can. The big debate is whether he should because of what he produces on that right-hand side and what he gives you. But, you know, I, I do think about all those times last season when we went behind and we needed goals. And what would it be like chasing a game if you've got Saka starting and then you bring on Rafinha or if you start Rafinha and then you bring on Saka and you've got Martinelli and you've got Inketi and you've got Smith Rowe and you've got Fabio Vieira and you've got Gabriel Jesus and you've got Eddie Nketiah I wonder about that aspect of how we're going to play next season and how we're going to cope with those in-game situations that don't go as well as we can so you know I, I wonder if we do get a little bit wedded to a player being in a position uh, a little bit much the versatility that Mikel Arteta seems to want across his defenders, the defenders that he's brought in, when you think about it, can all play in different positions. Um, and I wonder if he's looking for something similar in in the forward line. So, um, Can I interrupt you briefly and ask you to strike up the doorbell music? Yes. I was hoping this would happen. One sec. <laughs> done that was that was a package from arsenal as well it wasn't gabriel jesus though nice to get the doorbell music in yeah brings everything back to a nice (laughs) cheery level of course and uh, just sort of to finish off on that question about about pepe and all of that um yeah i just think it's more about having as many attacking options as we possibly can because we are a team that needs to deal with going behind better than we have done. And on that, I do have a question here um, from Dahlgren on the Discord. He said, the transfer window has put quite some emphasis on signing wingers. Uh, he talks about Rafinha, Richarlison, Sterling. There's talk of Serge Gnabry. Uh, to some extent, Gabriel Jesus was a winger. But he said, despite so many wingers moving around the market in this window, we still hear nothing about interest in Pepe. I realize the big clubs buying these players won't be interested in Pepe, but would you imagine the clubs selling their wingers might be interested? And perhaps we should be concerned. Pepe to Everton, Pepe to Leeds. I'm not sure those are realistic, but is that a situation which, again, going back to what we were talking about with plates spinning in the transfer market, like we all know, and I think everybody is aware that probably the best thing for Pepe is that he moves on this summer. But the uh, the easier said than done aspect of that is very much in play at this moment in time. Yeah, it definitely has a kind of last week of the window vibe for for the reasons that you point out there. Mm. It, it's going to be, yeah, maybe one of those that, that sells a winger. I, I don't think it will be a Premier League team, uh, mm. to be honest, anyway. Um, but there might be an element of, well, once we you know, string out a sale of one of our guys and get the money we want for it. Um, yeah, like, let's face it, that's that's the kind of, they're the shake the tree uh, kind of signings. That's what I mean about the squad players. Like, there, there is the only one of that big clutch of players that we're trying to sell, that we all know about, the only one I, I 
foresee at all going through before the last week of August is maybe Leno. Yeah. But even then, like Leno, we know he's had a firm offer from Fulham and I think it's very clear from the silence since then him and his agent are like, <laughs> well, let's just see what else comes up, shall yeah. we? <laughs> um, so there's an element, and, and obviously like the clubs that are going to buy these players, they're not the ones that can just throw loads of money down. Um, and, you know, they don't want to be paying their salaries at the moment and things like that. So, but with with Pepe specifically, I mean, the, the question I asked you about the kind of the left footers, I mean, first of all, I don't think Pepe is a factor anyway. Um, and I'd say that broadly, we might end up with like eight attackers, four left-footed, four right-footed, which strikes me as deliberate um, and probably probably a pretty good thing in mm. terms of balance. But I mean, for Pepe, like to me... Arsenal have done a lot of cleaning house in the last couple of years and getting rid of all those players that we don't want, that were on big contracts, et cetera, et cetera. And now I look at this squad and I think this is pretty much all Arteta's except, like, again, taking out the guys that we want to sell, except, like, maybe Cedric is one that's kind of... There wasn't really an Arteta signing, I don't think, but one that's kind of tolerated, I guess. Pepe, Pepe is the last one to me that is mm. like, this is, this is not to cast dispersions on his character. Or sure, anything. sure, I know. But that That's like the problem. Like, we really don't want this guy and he's on bigger wages than he probably should be. And it's going to be difficult to, to kind of move mm. him out. I, I do see that as a, and that's like, when I look at that clutch of squad players with all of them, I just think, get what you can. Yeah, and you know, hopefully cumulatively, and and I include Pepe in that. I I don't think we're going to get a fee for him. I do think it's likely to be a loan. The only players that we're selling, like maybe Maitland Niles, can generate something because of the English tax. The only one of those sales I look at and think this is one where maybe we can haggle is Leno. Yeah, that's that's the only one I look at and think mm, there's there's enough like cachet around this player, particularly if we sell him to a Premier League team. But Pepe. That I'm afraid if anything final happens on that before deadline day, I'd be shocked and amazed. But even in a world where we don't get him out on loan or anything like that, I I don't think he kicks a ball for Arsenal next season. Yeah, I, mean, I think that's probably yeah. I think that's going to drive the the final decision, and it may well be a loan with an obligation that the um, obligated team will then back out of and give us half price for or whatever it is. But just to follow up on this, we had a, a couple of questions like this. Um, Van Youngzy, who's at Youngzy on Twitter, said, "Goodly morning. Do you foresee any of the returning loan players?" staying this season if so do you have a preference personally i'd love hector to replace cedric in the squad but appreciate it's unlikely and on the discord amin Turi said where do you see things going with hector bellerin i'd hope uh, i hope to get his move to betis as he seemed happy there but without falling through do you think there's any chance he stayed while he's not the player he was i think he'd at least be an upgrade over uh, cedric if he wanted to stick around yeah, I, I had these questions as well um, mm. with Hector. And obviously, we've all remembered that Hector exists again because he's he's training with the club and, you know, did that. Um, and, and I think we should reference as well, by the way, I don't think it's come up in any of the questions, but um, would like to reference uh, how well Arsenal did with, you know, covering Pride mm. um, this weekend and, like, 
paying for the bus, which left from London Colney with a number of the men's players, um, you know, throwing their weight behind it. Three members of the women's team were on that bus for the parade. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, you know, Arsenal threw their weight and their wallet um, behind that. And, you know, the players coming in and, and doing that, of, of course, Hector was one of them. I think we would all expect yeah, yeah, that yeah, of Hector, yeah. that he would want to be um, one of the ones to do that and and, and how great that is. And, and obviously things like LGBT inclusion, it's not just one day of the year, but, you know, a landmark day in sure. London. I think Arsenal did really well to cover it. But but with Hector, the, the thing is, um, don't get me wrong, I completely agree that Hector Bellerin is better than Cedric. And uh, not just in terms of like his quality as a player. The, the problem I think Cedric gives us is not just that, sorry, I, I don't think he's very good. Even for the for a squad player, I don't think he's good enough. But it's his profile is so different from mm. Tommy Asu. And that's effectively what's done for Bellerin at Arsenal is that effectively we've got Tierney at left back and they're both too similar. And Hector doesn't really do that tucking in and playing as a third centre-half. That's not who he is, so he doesn't fit in. Albeit, Cedric gives you the same problem. But I think the thing is for Bellerin, um, you know, to invoke a line from Shawshank Redemption, sometimes when you love someone, you've got to set them free. (laughs) And and I think Hector is just at that stage of his career. I think he knows it as well. He's referenced it himself, you know. He needs a new challenge. I think he does. I think he said he's been thinking about that for a little while, probably since Arteta came in. And I don't see it as like a big difference between the player and the coach. I just think he he, he doesn't quite fit. He's got one year left on his deal. He's 25. Like we should be able to get some money for Hector Bellerin. I'm not pretending mm. it's going to be a lot because I think we've got him on a good contract and a contract that was proportionate at the time we gave it to him because he was one of the, he was like the vice captain at the time we gave him that contract. So it's just, you know, things have moved away from the player and the club. Sometimes a player and a club take a step towards each other. Sometimes they take a step apart Sure, and we've taken a step apart and it's not, it's not because he's crap or because he's fallen out with Arteta or anything like that. He's just, not really what we need anymore and he needs something else as well so yeah you know don't get me wrong i i wouldn't cry any tears in a world where bellerin's in the squad next season and cedric isn't but sometimes it's just not right anymore and i yeah. and i think we're at that stage with hector and that and that does make me sad because i like the guy i even went back and for my sins i've been listening to some episodes of jake Humphrey's podcast um, some of which are, are really interesting. He's got some really interesting interviewees. And there's one he did with Hector Bellerin last summer. And it's, it's really interesting listening back to it because at the time he was still at Arsenal. Mm. He obviously, it was last summer, I think it was recorded. So he obviously knew in the background that there was, you know, a move to get him away. But at the time he was at Arsenal still. And he was talking so highly of Arteta and he was saying like, and, you know, obviously we finished eighth and he said, look, I know we finished eighth. We went out the Europa League semi-final. I can't sit here and tell you've had a good season. We haven't. But he was saying stuff like, mm. I promise you it's going to get better, that this coach has got us on the right track. And he spoke really, like, and it didn't sound like platitudes at all. Like he spoke very movingly, I think, about where he saw the club going. Mm. And it's interesting. it was interesting listening to it in retrospect because at that point he must have known that he was on the market to move somewhere. Yeah. Um, and he still thinks very highly of the club and the coach. It's just, it's just a natural yeah. parting. So I, I, unfortunately, I, I don't see that, and I don't think it should happen. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. I think you know, your t- sometimes your time is up, and the best thing for all concerned, you know, 
even without it being uh, some conflict or whatever it is, the best thing for the player, the best thing for the club might well be to, to move on. I don't really see it happening with with Hector. There is some interest, I think, with um, Atletico Madrid. Um, but how Arsenal facilitates some of these deals this summer um, and the question about whether we should facilitate deals like on the one hand, I really want us to sell better. I think we should sell better. I think we should be better at selling. On the other, sometimes you've just got to take what you can get in what is still a relatively depressed market uh, across Europe, if not in the Premier League because of the money that's that's on offer. But, but looking at some of the other players who are coming back from loan, um, I mean, the only one I think that really stands out as somebody who's coming in to stake a uh, a place is William Saliba um, because of yeah. the the quality of the player, because of how well he's done on loan. He's not coming off the back of a dismal season at Marseille and you're thinking, well, how's this guy going to fit? He's the only one, I think, where you can say he really should be pushing hard. Whether or not that happens, I still have a little gut feeling that it might not for whatever reason, but I would like to see it. Let me make that clear. Beyond that, though, you're looking at Ainsley Maitland-Niles, Reese yeah, Nelson, one year left. One one year year left. left. Uh, Pablo Marie probably has got more than one year left, but you know wasn't seen again after getting roasted by a Romelu Lukaku who didn't do that to any other defender in the Premier League last season. You know, I think that that pretty much called time on his Arsenal career. Again, the kind of deal that probably should be relatively easy to do, depending on what you're looking for and how much you're looking for. Lucas Torreira, one year left. Like all of their contractual situations demand departures rather than reintegration, right? Yeah, definitely. And and look, we wanted to sell those guys last summer, yeah. all of them, and we couldn't because mm. the market was even more depressed. And also they had two years left. That's why Pepe is going to be difficult because he's got two years left. So that's why I think it's likely to be a loan mm. because like, why, why would you, like, even if you wanted to pay money for Pepe, um, which someone might, he's not a terrible player by any means. He's got a lot of talent. Um, but like, why, why wouldn't you just say, mm, we'll take him on loan and then we'll buy him, you know, and if he's any good, we'll, we'll try before we buy. Yeah. And if he's good, we'll get him with one year left. So why is anyone going to pay for him at this point? Yeah. Unless Raul Sanye, he's got a job at another European club that we don't know about. <laughs> careful yet. now, careful now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, deleted by the lawyers. Um, um, so, you know, and, and, and but that's the thing. A, a lot of these, they're one year left now. So like mm. they, they have to go one way or another. On, on the getting better at selling point, Generally speaking, I don't think there is a club, even Liverpool, because, probably because Liverpool don't get to this point with their players, which I think is, is the real lesson and one that I, I think Arsenal are learning. Mm. No one's good at selling players that they don't want with one year left on their contracts because absolutely, even the stupidest club doesn't come bundling in with a huge offer for those guys. Like that's that's just the way it is what what you're looking at in terms of becoming a better selling club like if 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 you um transfer Torreira to Liverpool now Liverpool aren't getting 30 million for Torreira even they're not yeah. what you do is you sell players like Joe Willock like Emmy Martinez you sell them when they're on a reasonably high note and you look at them and you go okay Joe Willock, you're good. You're probably not quite Arsenal good, though. Thanks. We'll take the 30 million. Iwobi, you're yeah. good. 
you're probably not Arsenal good. Thanks, we'll take the money for you. Martinez, you're good, but we kind of got a number one goalkeeper. Mm, sell, good. Like that, it's the moderate value player. That's mm. where you make your money. And potentially, look, you're, you're, you're a big value player as well. Um, maybe you sell some of those. I think that's a bit easier, um, yes. to be honest. Like in a world where we have to sell Bakayo Saka one day, we're not going to have to hawk him out anywhere. Um, yeah. You know, the interest will find us. Yeah. We won't have to, like I, I read that story about Pepe, you know, Pepe has now been offered, um, you know, like apparently we've reached the stage where we're actively trying to, and, and that's not a good stage to be at with a football player. No, no, no. If, if you're trying to like thrust your, and everyone knows he's for sale anyway, but if you're trying to thrust your goods yeah. under someone's nose, that's not a good, strong selling position. Sending Joe Willock on loan to Newcastle, him scoring six goals and then paying 30 million, that's a good selling position. Emmy Martinez having a blinder in a cup final and selling him, good selling position. So it's, you know, mm. hopefully this is the last dribble of those players left um, that we have to do this with. And maybe the club can point to a little bit of legacy here on, I mean, not marry really, but on some of them, and say, so, well, actually, these weren't really our guys, and yeah, you know, it's a bit hard to get rid of them. Like after this summer, I really don't want big clutches of players that we don't want with one year left on their yeah. deals. And I trying mean, to walk them around. To be fair, I mean, Edu was involved, um, you know, to a considerable level while Raul Sanye was was head of football too. Um, yep. but you know. People can change, things change, circumstances change, and context changes, and everything else. So yeah, uh, I, I tell you what, I've, you know, on that theme, very nicely, we've got another question here from uh, another really nice uh, Twitter handle, uh, R Soul Null at R Soul Null. Uh, say that quickly. Um, do you think we can read anything into Rob Holding's absence in the Ipswich game? Whilst players expected to leave were playing. None of those seem to have concrete interest. Could Holding be another Chambers-type transfer? I think Holding is probably close to the the kind of Willock, Martinez, um, Iwobi kind of sale that we could make. I'm not saying that his uh, like his last appearance was a absolute disaster, but in general, he was a solid. Um, secondary option for us, you know? And when I think about central defence next season and if we have a place for William Saliba, I don't know that we've got a place for Saliba, White, Gabriel, Martinez, um, and Holding. That's five players. I just think that's probably too many. And I, I would... I would say that would be a sensible sale if there was a club interested in Rob Holding and we were going to bring Saliba back. He's 26 years of age. He's English. He's got a couple of years left on his contract. Plenty of experience. Could do a decent job for another Premier League team. I think that would be a relatively smart signing rather than be in a situation where you've got a guy with a year left, is he hasn't played a great deal maybe next season uh, and all of a sudden his value is much lower than it would be. So I wouldn't be at all surprised if having made the decision that we want William Saliba to stay in the squad next season, that Rob Holding becomes the guy who who makes way. 
Um, as for his absence in the Ipswich game, I mean, I don't know. There wasn't a great deal of uh, information about that. He could well just have a little bit of a, a knock or a strain or an ache that kept him out of that game. I don't think it's necessarily indicative of imminent departure or anything like that. But but as a potential sale, that one makes a lot of sense to me because it could bring in some reasonable some reasonable money. Yeah, definitely. I, I, I completely agree with that. And the only thing I'd add is, you know, talking about learning lessons. Mm. That's a player we extended 18 months ago. Mm. And I always, always had the feeling that was more about value protection than anything. He was like 24, 25 at the time. Mm. I never had the feeling that this was, we want this guy for the next five or six years. I think it was, look, we got, probably we want to replace you in a bit, but we got bigger fish to fry at the moment. So yeah, have a pay rise, have a bit more of a contract. And in 18 months time, we'll sit down and have another look. And and yeah, I, I agree with you. In a world where we get Martinez, I think holdings out the door. Yeah. And, and I think that would that would make um, a hell of a lot of sense, definitely. Yeah. All right. We'll see what happens with that one. Uh, this one comes from Jacob FM on the Discord. He said, I really enjoy the fact that the Arsenal project, in inverted commas, has come so far uh, that we, as for instance, for Martinez and Rafinha, are battling out, battling it out with big domestic and foreign clubs for some of the best players out there. However, if this is the new reality, should we become more ruthless and start our bidding at the seller's club, uh, the seller club's player valuation, uh, what they want, uh, to avoid a saga, which opens a window for other clubs to join the race? I think this is quite interesting because when you consider you know the kind of players we're going for this summer versus the kind of players that we went for last summer there is going to be more competition for those players Uh, when you're trying to move as Mikel Arteta says to a different level you're having to buy players that probably other clubs want so how do you deal with that because I think you said it earlier like well just pay Ajax what they want for Lissandro Martinez but if you just pay Ajax what they want for Lissandro Martinez, there's no nothing to say Manchester United can't come in and then pay what you what they want and a little bit more. Whereas if you, I think sometimes um, when we think about the cost of players, people say, "Oh, it's only an extra couple of million. But million is big. Yep. Million is a lot of money. I know in in football terms we throw around millions like they're you know fivers here and fivers there. Millions are a lot of money, um, and I do think that if you're talking about the club um, selling better and being smarter, that also has to apply to how you buy players too. Like just going in and going, well, here's all the money. Without any kind of negotiation, that doesn't seem smart to me either, even if it might be frustrating from the outside because it looks like we could get it done like that if we just paid an extra few quid. But I'm not sure that's really the case. There's a lot more to these deals than just the 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 transfer fee because, you know, there's so much going on in the background. Yeah, certainly with salary as well. Like, yeah, all right, you give Ajax another two million, but what does that then do to your personal offer to mm-hmm. the player? I mean, the the club that have been meeting everyone's fees really has been Man United over the last few years. They're the ones that just, yeah. it looks to me like just say, how much, here's, here's a check. Yeah. How many zeros on there? Okay, there you go. Sure. Um, it, like even Man City walk away from transfers. Um, if they don't, they don't decipher value. And there's something about how you're perceived in the market as well. And I still think Arsenal have got a little bit of the wheel to turn in mm-hmm. terms of their image in the market. 
Um, but I'd also say, and, and you know, like in these deals, if you meet the club's offer straight away, you've probably bid too much. But I also think, particularly for a club like Arsenal, it's also about the tier of the transfer and the priority. So like I said earlier, Gabriel Jesus, I don't think that was a long negotiation. I think it basically went, City went, we want 45 million. And Arsenal went, what about 40 million? And City went, we want 45 million. And Arsenal went, 42 and a half. And City went, we want 45 million. All right, there's your 45 million. Mm. We need him. Whereas the others, I think there's a little bit more... Like I said, they're interrelated, but a little bit more, hmm, if we don't get Lissandro Martinez, either we have another target or, you know, th- there is another transfer window in January. So, like, you can use that one. So sometimes, and I know, I think we saw this a couple of times under Wenger, where maybe we carried a bit of a place in the squad and then got the player in January. So I'm thinking of another Gabriel, Gabriel Paulista. We brought him in in January and we started the season with three centre-halves in Nacho Monreal. And that's a risk. That was a Mm. risk, right? But I think their thinking was probably, we can't actually get the player we want until January. And it's not like we have players there. Like we said, it's not absence, it's depth we're talking. So we can take the risk and, and wait till January. And it might blow up in our stupid faces, but we'll take the risk. And that there might be some element of that with um, with players at the moment. It might be that, um, you know, I, I, I know, for example, uh, Arsenal women did this. They signed um, a Brazilian defender in Jan- January, Rafaeli. They wanted her in the summer. They couldn't get her till January, so they waited. Mm. They said, okay, that's the player we want. We'll wait till January and we'll just carry the risk. So I do think that may, like you can't do that with the striker. The striker is now, 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 and now. And not just for the first game of the season, pre-season like mm. that that's very important whereas maybe Tielemans maybe Martinez you can kind of go mm, yeah m- maybe we could, like if we don't have them strictly for the first game of the season we can live with that um, and and then of course you can't have that with too many players though like one of these targets you can probably do that with whoever it is mm. you could probably go we could hang on until mid-August before we get that one sorted. So I, th- I think you're right. I think there's just so much that goes into it. And like having this discussion with someone at the weekend about like, uh, you know, a lot of Arsenal's current transfer targets being leaked, like Fabio Vieira wasn't leaked. No. And so we, well, not until the very end. So I think we can deduce from that 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 was pretty straightforward, that mm. that was, hi, Porto, we want this player. How much? There yeah. you go. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I think that's what we can deduce from that. So, and but there's always the risk for any player you go for. Porto, like I, th- I think Ajax have been smart with Martinez, right? Because they probably know that Manchester United would quite like him. So Arsenal have come in with an offer, and I think Ajax have just gone, "Hey, everyone." Arsenal want Martinez, and here's what they've offered for him. Uh, if you want him, you better be quick, kind of thing. Well, yeah, look at the look at the Ajax connection between Van der Sar, yeah. Ten Hag, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So those lines are those lines are there. I, I mean, it wouldn't I surprise me at all. It wouldn't surprise me at all if United's interest in in Martinez was sparked by Arsenal's rather than yeah. it being something that they had on their uh, cars. I mean, we saw what or, they did last maybe season. They Ronaldo. thought like we maybe do with Tielemans. Maybe they thought, oh, that's a deal we can do later in the summer because the yeah. manager knows him and, and all of that. Oh, Arsenal are interested. I'm sh- I'm certain that the reason we all know everything that's going on with Hafinha is, well, because of Leeds, 
but also because the player wants Barcelona. <laughs> so yeah, 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 yeah. He's, you know, he's again, you know, big horizontal flashing lights, Barca, better make <laughs> you move kind of thing. And like, I've seen some frustration expressed about like that happening with some of our targets, but like that's a risk with any player you go for. That could have happened with Fabio Vieira. That could have happened with Gabriel Jesus. And mm. we know that there was interest from elsewhere, but basically Tottenham and Chelsea, I think we're told, Arsenal got this one in the bag, don't even bother. Mm. So we're in that period of the summer now where clubs will try to stoke bidding wars. And, and that's and, and that's another advantage, by the way, of selling players at a good point. Um, there are no bidding wars for Lucas Torreira or Ainsley Maitland-Niles um, at yeah. the moment. I mean, who knows? Maybe, maybe for us, maybe we made Leno to Fulham public. Maybe we made... Yeah, yeah. Nottingham Forest's interest in Maitland-Niles public. Maybe we said, hey, guys, these, these guys are offering for this player. So, you mm-hmm. know, feel free to come in with another competing bid if you want. There's just so much that goes into it that, frankly, yeah. is not in your control. All right, let's do a couple of quick ones uh, to, to see us out. Have you got one more? Yeah, yeah. I've I, I got a couple of fun ones here, but um, I quite like this one from Charles Davies uh, at Chuck Davy. What's going on with all the wispy tufts in N5 referring <laughs> to some of the facial hair of some of our players? So Gabriel Jesus' is goatee, Fabio Vieira's very like wham, uh, George Michael era goatee, Hector Bellerin's fantastic moustache, uh, Ainsley Maitland Niles, very wispy there. Gabby Martinelli, that's a, that's a quite a wispy. Yeah, that that's the kind of beard I tried to grow when I was sixteen to get into pubs. <laughs> and ben. then you've got like William Saliba's kind of um, system of a down style, <laughs> uh, much more of a, a metaler's facial hair, but again a little bit wispy. So yeah, what's going on with all the wispy tufts I, in I, N5? I don't know. Maybe it's lack of vitamins, something like that, because uh, <laughs> you know Ben White as well has got a bit of uh, facial hair going on. Touch of the uh, V for Vendetta stuff. A little bit of a stripe, Pires-esque kind of stripe. Yeah, yeah. I mean, personally, you know, I'd be all for a player with a big Captain Haddock beard, but I'm not sure it's really there. And I wonder about the aerodynamics of it as well. You know, whether Mikel Arteta would allow that to happen because uh, speed tests, when they get them in the wind tunnel, it shows, you know, if you've got a big flappy beard, it, <laughs> it slows you down very slightly. I've got, um, uh, I, I'm, I'm up to my, my two Simpsons analogies, but I've got an image of Mikel Arteta uh, the Simpsons episode where Mr. Burns hires all those baseball players and he tells one of them to get rid of the sideburns. Uh, with, clearly without any idea what sideburns actually are. I mean, I, I'd say obviously this is a question in jest, um, yeah. but I'd say also it points to the youth of the squad, right? Like, yeah. you know, like uh, personally, my kind of facial hair journey, like, uh, you know, I came on pretty early, but like there were wispy bits, like, I I don't know about you. I got like the goatee like quite quickly and that's Mm. very thick and coarse, but I'm a bit fair as well. So like the sideburn part, that didn't really happen until my early 20s. And, you know, so like when I was a student, I look back at pictures of when I was a student and I hadn't shaved for a few days. It it wasn't an intentional goatee. It's just I was at that stage of of my development. So, you know, I, I think there's... I mean, with the exception of Bellerin, Bellerin, that's that's a very conscious yeah. um, fashion choice right uh-huh. there. But the other guys, you know, they're in their early 20s. They, they've yeah. got a bit of wisp going on. I think um, what, what's clear is that um, Arsenal need 
to hire Andrew Allen as a beard consultant because no man sports a better, more fulsome beard uh, than he does. Uh, let's Agreed. go out. Let's go out on this one because we had a few people seeing as we have you on. Uh, people asking uh, about the Arsenal women. Abin Punus, who's at Abin underscore Punus. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. He said, "Can you give us a general update about Arsenal women and their transfer targets and the uh, the profiles being targeted?" And Luke Conboy, who's at some Ron Rebel on Twitter, any women's team transfer rumors? So what's what's happening in the uh, women's transfer market while we're all focused, laser focused on what's happening with the men? Uh, there is the women's team to consider as well. Yeah, really quiet um, around the women's team. They, ha- they haven't made um, a signing, not- nothing that's been public yet. Uh, mm-hmm. One of the few WSL clubs who haven't, actually. It- the women's transfer market kicks off much more in July. So um, to give you a, a, an insight into that, Arsenal signed six players last summer and four of them were announced in July, one in late August. Mm. Like, because of contracts, that's generally when, when stuff goes down. Arsenal women will not be signing six players this summer. Um, you know, they had a new manager, big turnover. They're, they're much more focused on stability mm. now. So it's more been about new contracts. So people will have heard about Miedemer, but they got Caitlin Ford, Noel Maritz, Steph Catley. They've all extended. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're currently trying to convince the backup goalkeeper, Lydia Williams, um, to extend her contract because hers actually ran out on June the 30th. I did ask Arsenal about this. Mm. And they just said that they've got nothing to update yet. So that one's kind of ongoing. In terms of signings, really, really quiet. They tried to sign a Brazilian forward called JC. Um, you know, Arsenal just aim it laser focusing a lot of their business on what interests me, um, trying to sign another Brazilian Brazil. forward. Um, but she went to Barcelona because Barcelona missed a lot of their striker targets, including Vivian Miedema, happily enough. Um, I, I, it sounds to me like they're trying to bring in a young striker. There's a couple of names I've heard um, because they you know, they have Miedema, they have Blackstenius, but I, I think they want one more striker. Mm-hmm. And some of the ones they're focusing on, I think, are like young, you know, w- would fit more into the backup. Um, but... I'm not hearing that much else um, so far. I, I think Arsenal are going to do their business very, very quietly this summer. But Women's Fabio Vieiras, this is what we're talking about. Yeah, here, yeah? yeah, might well be. But also we should point out that the urgency is not the same because the season doesn't start till September 11th. The players don't come back for pre-season till mid-August and we've got the Women's Euros starting on Wednesday. Yeah. Um, and Jonas is going to be, Jonas Eideval, the manager, will be a pundit for the BBC on that coverage. So this could be a little bit like Arsene Wenger. Freddie Jumberg. In Brazil. Remember we signed Freddie Jumberg, wasn't it? After, was it yeah. the World Cup? Um, you know, and Arsene Wenger saw him at the World Cup. was like, I'll have yeah. that guy. So all of the best players in Europe are going to be in mm. England basically from today. Um, so I think that that will kick off a lot of activity as well. All right. Well, we'll see what happens there. And of course, there's lots still to happen um, from the uh, men's point of view. But uh, for now, we better leave it there. Tim, thank you very much indeed for filling in for James. Really appreciate it. My absolute pleasure. And you managed to get a couple of Simpsons ref- uh, references in as well, uh, as I expected. Uh, had a side bet there with somebody about how many, so I'm, I'm quids in today. Uh, no, uh, thank you very much. Uh, great to have the doorbell music as well. Uh, to you guys uh, listening, thanks very much as always for being here. Really appreciate it. And we will catch you on the next one. Have 
ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 